Valentine's Day. And I was like, oh, people are going to think it's a Valentine's Day sermon. But I promise you it's not. It's nothing related to Valentine's Day. So I've got a, just, a few, uh, just a few questions, a pop quiz. All right, so nobody knows what's coming right now, especially Cyril Hawkins. Cyril, what's the most, Cyril's a traffic engineer, what's the most important rule, a former traffic engineer, the most important rule when it comes to driving an automobile? Keep your eyes open. There, I'll give you that one, that's pretty good. Um, All right, who else do we have? Hugh, Hugh Hicks, most important rule in football. (laughs) there you go cheer for the patriots how did that work out this year no all right uh trevor what's the most important rule when it comes to playing in a band drumming practice Practice. that's a good one all right who else do we have i can pick on jade most important rule when it comes to starting up a pig farm (laughs) <laughs> watch youtube there that's good all right i won't and uh you know we, we can talk about what's the most important claire what's the most important rule in our house pop quiz <laughs> to listen to me there you go boom 100 percent. that's good all right so so rules they're meant to keep things working the way they're intended to work, right? So whether it's rules of the road or rules of sports or rules in a family or whatever, rules have a purpose, and that purpose is to make things function the way they were intended to function. And you know what? When God set up the universe, when he created things, he put a number of rules in place, right? Like there's the laws of gravity, there's all the other laws of physics and chemistry and biology. And he set these things up so that the world would function as it was intended to function. And he also set up rules for us as as human beings. And he set up rules that if we follow them, that's the way that life is supposed to live. And, you know, I know some some people think Christianity, oh, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. Well, there are some rules, but it is primarily about a relationship with God. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that a bit more. But does anybody know what the most important rule when it comes to relating to God is? There you go, Betty. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others as yourself. So that's great. So we're, you stole my thunder, but that's, that's all right. So turn in your Bibles. I, I set you up for that. That's good. Turn in your Bibles uh, or your, on your devices or whatever to Matthew 22. And Jesus was asked point blank by, by one of the Pharisees, what is the most important commandment? And this is what he said. Matthew 22, uh, we're going to start in verse 34. Thank you, Brent for uh, helping me with these. I'm going to go to 34 and we'll hang out on verse 7. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, that Jesus had silenced the Pharisees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus, he really boiled it down. He, he said, you know what? You've asked for the most important commandment, and this is what it is. And he gave them a second one, loving others, because they're really, those two things are so interconnected that they can't, really be separated. It's like, kind of like a buy one, get one for free type of thing. So love God, love others. Not very complicated, right? It's pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty self-explanatory. 
But is it easy? And I would say, is it even possible? And I don't know if you guys are like me, but it's not possible in my own strength to love God and to love others as we've been called to do. So we're going to come back to these two commandments in a few minutes. But first, what I want us to do is take a few minutes and look at a New Testament church, the church in Ephesus. And that church, uh, they, they got a hold of the love of God, and they were kind of firing on all cylinders, and then they drifted from it, and then, and then they were invited back to it. So we're going to just kind of take a bit of a detour, and then we're going to come back to these first, these first two commandments that, that uh, Jesus gave us. So the city of Ephesus, it was uh, part of the Roman province of Asia, and it was the most important city in that area. It was a port city in modern-day Turkey, and it was renowned. It had, you know, this temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was, uh, it was one of the great trade routes, and, and it was a very rich city, and there was lots of stuff going on, but it was full of of witchcraft and, and magic arts, and it was full of idol worship, and it was full of really a lot of not great things. And it's really a place you wouldn't expect a church to take off in and to thrive in. So we first read about uh, the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, where Paul and his buddies Priscilla and Aquila they, they kind of went through there, and Paul left them and he, he went on, but he later came back. And he stayed there for about three years. And uh, in Acts chapter 19, we, we see kind of the, the famous account of when Paul showed up in Ephesus. And he, he said to them, to the disciples there, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And then he started asking a few more questions and he explained the way of Jesus and his about his death and his resurrection. They believed, they were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts were poured out. And he stayed there, like I said, for three more years teaching and preaching. And like the, the church was thriving. It was having huge impact. It says later on in Acts 19 that all of the region of Asia had heard the word of God through this church in Ephesus. There were miracles being done. People were being healed regularly, delivered from demons. Um, there was a lot going on. It even changed the whole culture of the city because there was a whole crowd of people that made their living making uh, shrines of this, uh, for this goddess Artemis. And, you know, they get all in an uproar because they're losing their livelihood. And eventually Paul left. There was lots going on there wasn't there? Paul left, and he left Timothy in charge. He wrote the book of 1 Timothy while Timothy was in Ephesus, and he, then he wrote the book of Ephesus. He wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, and we have that recorded. There was a guy named Apollos that taught there, and later on, John, the apostle John, who walked and talked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, church history tells us that he actually went to Ephesus as well and was in Ephesus likely before he was uh, taken off to the island of Patmos in exile. So this is a church that had, like, I'd say top-notch leadership. If, like, you know, you get lots of people that have written books of the Bible that are helping lead the church, heroes of the, of the faith. You got maximum kingdom impact happening. And, and really, Paul... We know that they were a church built on the foundation of love. Paul, in his letter to 1 Timothy, when Timothy was leading that church, this is what he says at the beginning of the book. He says to Timothy, the aim of our charge, or what we are proclaiming, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then when Paul wrote the book, of Ephesians, he said that, you know, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks to you, thanks to God for you in my prayers. So we know that in the early days, this church was a thriving church and its foundation was love. So you could say, 
you know, that what could possibly go wrong with this church? It was, they had everything going for it, right? That's all that you'd ever want in a church. Lives are being changed, culture is impacted, um, and the gospel is going forth. But that's not the end of the story. And if, if you turn uh, to the book of Revelation, we're going to just pick it up in uh, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. So this, this happened, this book here was written about 40 years after Paul would have been there. Okay, so he left around 55 A.D. or so, and this was written around 95 A.D. And, and Paul, or sorry, John, in a vision, uh, Jesus gave him this message to, to write to the church of Ephesus. This is what it says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is what, so he's talking about Jesus. This is what Jesus says. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So that sounds pretty good, pretty good encouragement, but then there's a but. And you know, a lot of times in the Bible when you see, but God, that's a good thing, because it's usually talking about how we're in a bad situation, but God turned things around and he saved us, and we'll read a few of those in a minute. This isn't a, this isn't a positive but. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. So 40 years later, they were hanging on, they were enduring patiently, they were serving God, they were working for God, they were, you know, refuting false teaching and they were holding fast to the truth, but they had abandoned or left or forsaken their first love the love that they had at first. And I guess the question that I ask myself is how in the world did they get from there where things were thriving and going well, did they get to here where Jesus basically gives them a quite a sharp rebuke? And I, and I didn't even read the rest of it, but he says, you know, if you don't repent, then I'm going to remove your lampstand, which is basically saying, I'm going to shut down your church. Um, we don't know what happened. We don't know how they got from point A to point B. But here's what I'm almost certain of. It was probably a gradual drift, right? They, pro they probably didn't wake up one morning and say, we're done with this loving God and loving others business. We're, uh, we're just going to do something else. And I'm guessing that it was a gradual drift. And just like... You know, slow change can be a positive thing, right? As we become more and more like Jesus, a lot of times we can look back and say, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't done that in a long time. And, like, and you can see how God is changing you and how he's making you more like him when you look back. But sometimes it can happen the opposite way. And what we see in the, in the Christian life is that there's really no neutral. There's no coasting allowed, right? If you coast, then that's the same as going backwards. It's like, it's like a lot of times you're, it's not drudgery, but just the fact of the matter because of our flesh and the world that we live in and the enemy that we have, if we take our foot off the gas, we're going to drift backwards. And we need to be, uh, we need to be zealous to, to be, and to be ruthless with ourselves in a good way. I'm not, I'm not trying to bring a heavy word here this morning, but we need to be uh, loving God with all of our hearts. So Jesus, in his mercy, because he is so merciful and good, he tells the Ephesian church the pathway back. And uh, in verse 4 of, uh, I think, you guys might have it on the screen, but he, or verse five, I guess it is, repent, or sorry, he says, remember, therefore, 
for where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the beginning. You did it first. So he, he lays out the roadmap. Remember, repent, and do. And we're just going to touch b- briefly on those, four, or, or on those three things and see really how they can apply to our lives. Because I know if you guys are like me, you tend to drift away and without even really realizing it. And I think this morning can be a time where as individuals and as a church, we can just kind of take stock and say, okay, have I, have I drifted? Have I drifted? Do I need to come back? Maybe that's a yes and maybe that's a no, but we'll see uh, what God, what God, how God speaks to you as we go through this. So, under the remember category, so I've got three points, okay? Remember, repent, and do. I'll just say do. I'm not a proper preacher, so I can't get them all, you know. Joe would figure out an R word, like I don't know if he would be like repeat the works you did or respond or I I don't know. But I'm just going to go RRD. Sorry, I think it'll be all right. So under remember, I would say, yes, there's a part of looking back in our own life, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, but I'd say the first thing we need to do when it comes to loving God, and, and it's remembering God's love for us, because He is love, and He is the source of love, and He is the one that loves, and we love because... He first loved us, right, in 1 John 4. So we can try to drum up love for others. I know it does not work in my own life, and I know it does not work in your life. You might be able to fake it, but it's not true. So, you know, the, the, one of the first songs we teach our kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's one of the simplest and yet the most profound truths that there is. So I've just gone through a few of my favorite verses. I'm just going to read them out about what God's love is like. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. For we ourselves, including me, we were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. That, that's the condition of your heart before you come to Jesus, whether you know it or not. And then there's a good but. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And in 1 John, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, He is slow to get angry and abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. And then Ephesians, in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Just think about that. Before the foundation of the world, God looked through time and he said, I am going to love Santiago. He is going to be adopted into my family. Like in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, and you were dead. Paul's reminding the Ephesians, he says, you were dead in the trespasses, in the sins in which you once walked. And he says a few more other things. You were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, 
Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Like, guys, I've just hit the top of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. The Bible is full of these great reminders about God's love for us and what he has done. And I know we talk about it all the time, and, but it's central to who we are as God's people. And part of re- the remembering is getting that's those truths into your heart. So I think there's a couple of parts to that. There's, yes, you can memorize some verses and you can read those, and that's great, but it's not just information. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings these truths to life in our, in our lives. He makes those truths real. Jesus said the Spirit would make uh, the truths of him real to us. And we can't give away love that we haven't received. And yes, we are objects of God's love, but we need the Spirit to apply that. And in Romans 5, 5, uh, Paul says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then later on in Romans, it talks about how we've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but we've received the spirit of adoption through which we cry out, Abba, Father, and how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Like it's, like you can't muster this stuff up, but what you can do is you can come to God and say, God, can you please show me your love for us? And I know as, as Darren was saying, we are in need of repair, right? And we are broken. <clears throat> and a lot of us have issues with, with broken relationships in our past, and that can taint our view and our ability, <clears throat> excuse me, to receive God's love. But God can bypass all that, and He can bring healing and restoration, and He can make His love real. And when you've been loved by the Father, it changes everything. It gives you confidence. You don't fear anymore. He takes away our shame and our guilt. We can run into his presence as children, welcomed before his throne of grace. We, we want to fellowship with him. We want to worship him. We want to do these things. And so it's not like it's drudgery. Once we've received, it changes everything. And... Yeah, Darren, I was just encouraged by what you brought this morning about how, you know, we can receive God's love and give it out to others because there's a lot of other people out there that are hurting that haven't received God's healing and forgiveness and we're, and, and they're really just hurting people. So we remember God's love for us. And then another, for those of us that have been Christians for a while, I think it is appropriate sometimes to look back and say, okay, have I progressed or have I regressed over the last few years? It's good to take stock once in a while. We, should, we don't live in the past, you know, especially with the negative stuff. Paul says we forget what's behind, we press forward to the future, but we do need to take stock and, and say, to ourselves, like, did, have I slid? Am I loving God less? Am I loving others less? Am I, ha, have I regressed in this area? All right, so we've got the remembering. Um, the next point would be repent. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but repentance is kind of the, it's the way we get in to the Christian life. We see our sin we recognize that it's wrong. And it says behind the scenes, God is giving us the gift of repentance. We say, okay, what I, the way I'm living is wrong. I'm going to turn, I'm, I was going this way. 
I'm changing my mind and my behavior will follow. I'm going this way and God will come with the Spirit and empower us to do that. It's taking ownership. And if, and if this morning, as you know, God puts his finger on some stuff in your life, we repent and we turn around. It's not a, it's not, it's not a negative thing. It's a move in the right direction. And repentance is a gift that God gives us. So the last section, and this is where we'll spend the most of our time, is in the do. The, Jesus said to the church of, in Ephesus, he said, do the works that you did at first. And I would say that the doing is really, you could substitute that out for love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, do return and do the works of love. So, like I said, the natural outworking of receiving God's love is giving it away, back to God, giving it to others. And, you know, the, as, as we are changed by God and he gives us new hearts, like it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Creature? <laughs> the new creature. New creation. Right? The old has gone. Behold, all things have come new. So God puts a new heart in us that wants to do the right thing, that wants to love God. And, and back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, he he promised his people, he said, a new covenant is coming. A new way of relating to me is coming. You used to relate to me through old, you know, external laws and stuff. But he said, I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to write it on your heart and on your mind. And how did Jesus summarize the law and those two things? Loving God, loving others. Those things, if you're a Christian here this morning, those things are written on your heart now and those are and he empowers us to to follow those commands so as i was thinking about you know our love for god and our love for i know you could do series upon series upon series so we're we're kind of flying high here this morning like flying high over but i was picturing a fire and, you know, it's wintertime, we have a wood stove in our house, and I like to go down in the mornings and get a fire started and watch the fire burn. Our love for God and our love for others, I think, can be compared to a fire. Fire needs some key ingredients to keep burning. You guys know what any of them are? Fuel, oxygen, heat. Boom. You get those three together... And things start happening. And if you remove any of those ingredients, I'm not a firefighter, but I think that's generally the strategy. You remove one of those three ingredients and uh, the fire dies down. So what are some things that, that we can do to stir up love in our hearts? Because like, it's a gift from God, yes, but there are some things that we can do and play our part in stirring up love in our hearts for God and for others. So I just, I just jotted down a few here. Um, we receive God's love, right? <laughs> I've already said it, but I'll say it again. If you want to be stirring up your love for God, receive God's love regularly. And that, you know, that's, you know, get into the word, uh, I'll just keep going through the list here. Be filled with the Spirit. All right, another pop quiz. What's the fruit of the Spirit? And Jill prayed it out for uh, Miriam this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then a bunch of other stuff. But seriously, <laughs> what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, right? We can't produce love. And just like we can't produce patience or kindness or goodness. Like we can, God in his common grace, he does give unbelievers the ability to love, but it's not to the same degree as what he's called us to. The fruit of the Spirit is love. He puts Christ-like love in our hearts. Obeying God's commandments. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Spending time with him. We've said it like, you, you, we've said it over and over, but you can't develop a relationship with somebody you don't know or you don't spend time with. Getting to know his word, right? The more you get to know his word, the more you get to know him, the more you know him, the more you love him. He's so great and glorious and wonderful. The more we see him, the more we love him. We can't help it. Just th- simple things like being thankful. God, thank you for the blessings that you've given me today. These things stir up our affection for Jesus. Here's one that you probably wouldn't expect me to say, but Jesus said it. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Okay? So there's a connection between your wallet or whatever you pay with these days and your heart. So if you, want a, if, you want, if you want a heart for missions, give some money to missions. If you want a heart for God, give some money to God. Okay, He doesn't need your money, but we store up treasures in heaven. Our hearts will be in heaven as well. Our hearts follow our money. Serve. We serve one another, right? Like so many are serving here this morning to make this meeting a possibility. And the last, the last one I'll mention um, says in Hebrews 10, I'll just actually read it out. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, let us, stir, or let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's something supernatural that happens when we gather as Christians together, whether it's having a meal together, whether it's being in life group together, whether it's joining together on a Sunday morning, whatever. Like, as we gather together as Christians, it says, let's consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. And when I see, when I see you guys, it encourages me. When I see Darren come down or Clinton come down or whoever, it's like, yes, that's encouraging. It builds me up and it, and it births love in my heart for God. It's like putting, putting logs on the fire. And we could go on and on and on, but um, time is running out. What are some things on a, in, in a negative sense? What are some things that maybe creep in that we do that kind of throw water on the fire? Well, consistent disobedience. We harbor sin in our hearts. You know, loving other people and loving things more than we love God. That's pretty self-explanatory. In 1 John, it says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. So God has called us to other things. What about distractions? There's so many distractions these days. You know, sometimes it's good to turn these things off. Now, I, I, my printer doesn't have any ink, so I had to put it on here this morning. But it's good to turn these off sometimes and take a break. Storing up treasures on earth, being selfish, being complacent, lazy. You know, there's lots of different things. Feeding our flesh instead of feeding our spirit. You know, the part of us that, that all about our physical appetites, and I want this, and I'm just caring about myself. Being proud, wasting our time, being stingy. Like these are some things that, that can kill the love that is supposed to be burning in our hearts to God. Unforgiveness, idolatry, putting our hope in other things. And we have to, as Christians, we have to be relentless with guarding our hearts because you know what? Our hearts, yes, they've been made new, but, but at the same time, they're, sometimes they get off course and they're, sometimes they can trick us, right? So we have to be relentless with guarding our hearts like it says in Proverbs 4 because from it, the wellspring of life flows. So just a few practical things that we'll, we'll get into before we end. 
First of all, love involves action. All right? Jesus said, do the works that you did at first. Right? So God obviously is the prime example of anything to do with love. But God's love is not a static, passive thing. Right? God pursues us. God disciplines us because of his love for us. God provides for us. He protects us. He sacrificed Jesus for us. So our love should also involve action. James says that faith without works is dead. I think you could say that love without some kind of action is also dead. <clears throat> in 1 John 3, he says, John says, let us not just love in word, but let us love with in deed and in truth. Right? So, so love is action. I'll say this, love is saying yes to some things and saying no to some other things. Like we already, we kind of already touched on with, with uh, the things that feed the fire and the things that kill the fire. But, you know, we have all these choices that come our way every day. How are we going to spend this five minutes I have? Am I just going to waste it? Am I going to rest? Am I going to, you know, am I going to take some time to serve someone? And like Joe was saying last week, it's in those, and he said a lot of times, those thousand small choices. Like, and it's in those little things that lead to the big things, right? So it can mean I'm saying no to, I'm not going to laugh at that joke. I'm not going to watch that show. I'm not going to go on that website. I'm not going to hang out with these these friends that are leading me astray, that are corrupting my good character. Another thing, love is not always a feeling, okay? Sometimes it is, and a lot of times it is, but sometimes you act out of love because it's the right thing to do, and you don't feel like it. Like, when your kid gets up in the middle of the night and is screaming and, you know, it's because God's said, don't murder, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like, seriously, like, you don't, yes, God changes our hearts, but sometimes we're, we need to like, we do stuff that we don't feel like doing because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, you, you don't always feel like doing it. Like, it's the same as true in a marriage. Like, you don't always feel like loving and serving and honoring your spouse. But that's what we're called to do. And that's the right way. And that's the way that things work best. And that's being like God. Do you think, do you think it was fun for Jesus to hang on the cross? No, but he did it out of love. It's for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And we can do the same thing. So leading into that, love involves sacrifice. You know, we sacrifice our time. Like Dave Laver, what time did you wake up this morning to get here? Probably before all of us, right? And, and week after week, people serve and they give and they... Like, it's a demonstration of love, and it doesn't always feel good. Now, God, in his mercy, a lot of times he makes these things enjoyable to us, and somebody can look and be like, that person did that, and the person loves it. Like Trevor, he's a, he's a servant. He's a natural servant. He gets joy out of doing stuff that a lot of us wouldn't. But that's just who he is. Like that, and that's God gives us all gifts like that. But anyway, we sacrifice time, we can sacrifice money and other resources, possessions. You know, you might not buy something that you want so that you can share with somebody in need or so that you can give to the church, whatever. We also sacrifice comfort sometimes, right? Like sharing the gospel with somebody a lot of times is a it gets us out of our comfort zone. Knocking on a kids' club family door in a week, weekday evening. It can be uncomfortable, right? 
But we do these things because God has called us to something greater than to just care about our own comfort. So it's not always easy, but it's the best thing in the world. So in the next thing, as we come to a close here, I'll just say this. Sometimes, uh, Clinton, you were talking about the clouds that sometimes seem like they're over your life. And those can really be an opportunity where God displays his glory. Well, in a similar way, sometimes God allows us to go through difficult situations so that we can love like he loves. And, you know, I'm thinking of my grandparents right now. They're in their 80s. My Grammy has Alzheimer's. And my Grampy is there loving, serving, being faithful, getting nothing in return. A lot of times she doesn't even know who he is. But that is a picture of God's love. Unconditional, serving, generous, providing, protecting, nurturing, cherishing. And that's not an easy thing to go through. But God allows these things into our lives sometimes. We can walk through them and love people as he loves. So sometimes we're, a lot of times we're short-sighted and say, I don't like being in this situation. We can get bitter. Sometimes it's a gift God gives us to bring glory to him and allow us to love like he does. All right, so the band, you guys uh, can come back up, please. I guess, how do we respond to this? And like I said, I don't, I don't want this to be a heavy, negative word, and that's certainly not my heart here this morning. But I think it is helpful for us to take stock. If everything is going great, that's good. Be encouraged, because as we look at God's love and as we re- go over these verses and stuff, it's encouraging. But if you have drifted a bit, maybe some areas of your life, God in his mercy invites us back. He says, remember, repent, and do. And if you fall into any of those categories, you're welcome to come and pray with us, with with a friend nearby or whatever. There's no condemnation here this morning. And when God extends an invitation to return to him, it's a free pass to come back, right? And the invitation is always open. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, you can receive God's love and forgiveness here this morning. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be forgiven, we can be restored. Even though we're in need of repair, like Darren said, the great repairer can meet you here this morning and bring healing and restoration. So let's all stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you want to respond to to anything here this morning, like I said, you're welcome to come down or, or talk to a friend that you came with. And the band's gonna go gonna play through a song. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a wonderful father. Lord, it's so great being your children. God, how great is the love that you have lavished on us that we should be called your children. And God, I just pray, God, this morning, God, for those maybe that need a fresh, a fresh experience of your love. God, that you would just pour your love into hearts here this morning by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that it would not just be information going in one ear and causing no no effect in people's lives, but God, I pray for a genuine change of hearts here this morning as you make your love real. God, we pray, God, for you you just to help us all to stay on course to keep their first things first. God, loving you, loving others. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so the front is open. If you want to come down or grab someone near to pray. For I spoke a word you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. your foes, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, law you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, law you won't tear down, coming after me. love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Um, as we were just singing, I was—I just remembered um, a kind of picture I heard once about when you're, I'm not an expert on this, so I had to even, I wasn't even sure what the word, right word was, but when you're orienteering, that's like, I think, for following a compass and you're trying to get somewhere and you're using a map and all of that, if you're careless about 
the, I think it's called grid numbers, like where, kind of where you're heading. If you're careless about what, what um, the detail of what you're kind of looking for in the compass and the direction you're taking, you can easily end up off course. What I felt God saying was, as, as Ben was talking about, um, the, the things that can douse the fire, the things that we can, you know, in our lives. And we all have them. I felt like th this is a kind of point in, in the church meeting where we can, we can kind of gloss over that. Like the picture of orienteering where you can say it doesn't really matter about the detail and then you can end up really off course. And I feel like God just wants to say to us right now, gently, to encourage us not to, not to gloss over those things, those, those thousand little choices that we can make in our life because some of those little choices add up and add up and add up and can take us off course. And, and like Ben was saying, there's a way back. God in his mercy and grace gives us a way back to the life that he has for us, the life that is, is, is life. Let's not believe the lie that we can gloss over those thousand little choices and not end up off course, because we will. But actually, God wants to bring us back on course. Great. So as we sing the chorus one last time, again, grab a friend next to you or, uh, or come down to the front. We'd love to pray with you. So just let's respond and then we'll close up after the uh, chorus. Yes, God, the grace so scandalous, we don't deserve what we get. We don't deserve what we get. We deserve death. And we, des we deserve destruction. But through your great, unfathomable love and grace and mercy you pour over us, we get life and life in all its fullness. We get to spend eternity in heaven with you forevermore. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Words can't describe it. Words can't, we can't comprehend it. But God, we thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Thank you, Ben. Brilliant. And uh, we'll see you again.